we haven't over the year, year and a half, almost two years that Chris and I have done Unscripted, we haven't spoken uh, in previous episodes a lot about the game of boxing. Primarily because outside of Floyd Mayweather, there hasn't been really much to talk about. Well, let me tell you, folks, I saw something just like in the last couple of minutes that makes me think that we now have something to talk about again from the wonderful and wacky world of boxing. And this revelation comes from a guy that I've just been introduced to, but Chris uh, gave me the analogy. Here's a guy that is as nasty as Mike Tyson used to be back in his day, and obviously I'm very familiar with Mike Tyson and what he did and didn't do back in his heyday, late 80s into the 90s. But there's a gentleman that is, uh, his name is DeAndre Wilder. He is the WBC, WBC heavyweight champion of the world. I just saw him destroy some guy in the ring, and that was over the weekend, yes? Over the weekend, and uh, this guy's record, 41-0-1. He's got one draw that he draw. He, he was in a fight with a guy by the name of Tyson Fury, the greatest name ever for a boxer. Tyson Fury, that's like kick your ass Jan- Jansen or something. <laughs> but Tyson Fury and this guy, Deontay Wilder, people want to see these two guys in the ring. 41-0-1 for Wilder, 22-0-1 or 27-0-1 or something like that for this Tyson Fury guy. Folks, as I bring in the executive producer of Unscripted to give us a little bit more account of these two behemoths from the world of heavyweight boxing, this is the fight, folks, that everybody's excited to see from the wonderful world of boxing. Yeah, Deontay Wilder is really the real deal here, and this guy is terrifying to look at. He said going into this fight over the weekend that he was going to murder Dominic Brazil in the ring, and he said it's the only sport where you can get paid to murder someone. I don't mean to interrupt, but this this Deontay guy looks like he'd be comfortable beating the shit out of anybody in a prison. Yes. I mean, he would be, no one's going to, he could go to Sing Sing and no one's going to screw with him. Oh, no. Hey, the pride of Tuscaloosa, Alabama. You know, he's probably been in a... He's been in jail then. Or a street scrapper, too. I don't know. But anyway, anyway, this is the modern-day Mike Tyson is what this is. But he is bigger and stronger and scarier than Mike Tyson ever was. And uh, he's just terrifying. I mean, so he's... Yeah, he's 41-0-1 now. He's got 41 wins, 40 knockouts. His, his only <laughs> non-knockout was when he actually won the WBC heavyweight title which was back in 2015, where he knocked out... Or sorry, he won a unanimous decision against the champ at the time, Bermain Stavern. And then, yeah, in the rematch, he knocked him out in the first round. Oh, my God. And it's just, you know, you think about heavyweight boxing and how it should be exciting. And back when Mike Tyson was knocking everybody out in a minute, it was. And then for a long time, you had, like, the Klitschko brothers. And it was just, they were very talented, but they were boring. And they, you know, you clutch a lot and they just grind out a decision. And it's like, oh, this is just really boring. But now with these guys, with guys like Tyson Fury, who's six foot nine, and Deontay <laughs> Wilder, who's six foot five, like, these are scary, scary guys that you don't want to get in the way of. And just typically with heavyweight boxing, uh, the guys are big and there's so much power, but they can also, they're also huge guys who can take a punch. And you don't get a lot of these just clean first round knockouts but this is like a movie like there's going to be a great movie i think about uh either deontay wilder and or tyson fury or about their feud i think because how perfect is it you have 40 and 0 against 27 and 0 and it goes to a draw like 
how perfect the guys who make the pay-per-views have got ruling oh man you get the rematch of the only draw and and that and this really shows how amazing floyd mayweather's record is just a clean 50 and oh no draws no no contests nothing just clean 50 and oh and this shows how difficult it really is to do that and I mean, yeah, I mean, I actually want to see the rematch now too. Uh, Tyson, Me too. Yeah, Tyson Fury is fighting uh, real shortly here in Las Vegas, and everyone expects that to be just the usual thing here. But when those two fight again, I mean, that's scary. I mean, when you, I, I just can't get over that. I mean, forty-two fights, yeah. forty knockouts. That's just and oh, that's I can't even I can barely say anything about it, but. This guy's the real deal. This guy could be going down as the greatest of all time, but uh, he hated this Dominic Brazil. Great call by Mauro Ranello on the broadcast, by the way. Just spectacular. Really, really exciting fight, and I hope we're going to get more of this in boxing because boxing's a fun thing. It's, if you're not into boxing all the time, it can still be a fun thing to watch once in a while, and this is what the UFC used to be. The UFC used to be a special thing. You got three or four pay-per-views a year, and that was it. It was a special event, and that's what boxing is now. There's no weekly boxing show or major boxing league on its own you know really other than the the titles or whatever but uh this is just a really special thing and uh i mean now the guy that they're also watching for is the up-and-coming 22 and 0 anthony joshua who's also of course undefeated but i mean fury's called him out saying chicken chicken joshua where are you and uh, but all three of these guys are undefeated and something's got to give eventually so boxing at the heavyweight level is actually getting exciting for the first time in a long time. And whenever we get Wilder Fury 2, I think you might see, other than maybe Floyd Mayweather, especially when he was facing either um, either Conor McGregor or else uh, Manny Pacquiao, other than those, I think, and maybe this could beat that, but I think we are going to see record-setting numbers for Wilder Fury 2. I really, really do. I think they're going to market the shit out of that, and I think the people are going to hear about it, and I think mainstream people will know about it, and it's going to be a really special thing if and when that ever happens. Well, boxing needs to make a recovery. There's no question about it. It's it's a lost genre, if you will, in the sports world. The UFC's had something to do with that, but also a lot of crappy boxers have had a lot to do with that over the last number of years. I don't remember... The heavyweight, and remember when I lived in Las Vegas in the radio business, the boxing game was prevalent because that was the Tyson area era. That was Holyfield. That was Larry Holmes. That was a lot of great boxers. I mean, people don't remember this, but Michael Spinks was a great boxer until he got his ass kicked by Tyson in 91 seconds in a fight. Um, Riddick Bowe was a, a prominent member on the upper echelon of boxing cards. We don't have that now. But we're starting to see that make a make a comeback. And I have not, I got to be totally honest with you, I have not been a big supporter of the boxing game because there's been nothing to support beyond, obviously, Floyd Mayweather. But now with these names that you're hearing, Wilder, Fury, and a couple other ones that Chris mentioned, maybe, maybe Bob Arum is looking from somewhere saying, it's coming back. I hope so, because that is something that the sports world needs again. There is room for the UFC and big-time top-ranked boxing. I hope that with these kind of names that Chris just rattled off, we're going to see some of those big, high-intensity matches again that are going to put fannies in the seats, and they're going to put fannies in front of television sets with pay-per-views. I'm very excited about it, and uh, when Chris told me about it, I got a little bit excited because I have not seen anybody with this kind of punching power 
And I've only seen this guy on Chris's iPad, but you can just see the physicality of him. He looks like he's built like that proverbial brick shit house. This guy can bring a lot of pain to somebody, and I can't wait to see him deliver the pain on anybody. I'm going to watch this Wilder guy because I'm actually intrigued by what he can do. Yeah, this is where, like, when you look at his back, it's like... I know! This is where someone like a Bobby Heenan back in the day would say he's got muscles in places where most people don't have places. Or, <laughs> or maybe that was a Jerry Lawler line, but one of those guys always used to like to say that, and yeah. that's what it looks like. He's just got just everywhere is a muscle on his back, and... So yeah, he's he's I, some people sometimes mistakenly refer to Deontay Wilder as the Brown Bomber, but that of course was Joe Lewis. Correct. And so he's actually the Bronze Bomber is what oh, he okay. goes by. So he wears kind of bronze on his okay. on his tights and everything. But he actually Deontay Wilder. So he's from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. So he grew up dreaming of playing for the Crimson Tide. So he wanted to be a wide receiver. Oh my god! Uh, for, yeah, <laughs> it's like it's like DK. I Metcalf. wouldn't tackle him. Yeah, exactly. So he, that's what he wanted to do. And uh, and he uh, was also interested in basketball as well. He's six foot five, uh, and then but then he ended up uh, having a kid at a young age, and he went to community college and decided to focus on boxing. And so, and now there's a lot of people that are really upset that he went into boxing. Mm-hmm. If you're in the boxing game, but yeah, I'm telling you, Fury Wilder too. Watch for that to really uh, revitalize the pay-per-view market. Not that it would ever really died with boxing. There's there's a really solid floor for the big name boxing fights, and partly part of the, part part of that is because of how uh, of how special it is. You're not having to spend money all the time. It's once in a while. Like, and I and I'm not saying boxing overall pay-per-view. I'm talking about specifically the biggest fights. I get it. Floyd Mayweather never had a problem setting records massive records with pay-per-views right especially if he is against another big star like a Manny Pacquiao but even when he's only against an average guy uh or you know relative to his star power he would still draw incredible numbers because people were dying to see him get his ass kicked but you know we always talk about in other sports secondary scoring there hasn't been a secondary scorer a secondary difference maker in the boxing game for quite a while oh yeah I think you'd agree with me with that and that's why I think when you bring these names up and you see what he potentially brings, and obviously 41-0-1, he brings a lot. And I'm very excited because I think, again, we've lost a little bit of our connection to the game of boxing. There are some unbelievable stories in the game of boxing. You can go back to Joe Lewis. You can go back to uh, Muhammad Ali or go back to the Cassius Clay days. And obviously you can go back farther than that, but... My memory only goes back to 1964. So I was still around. I was only one, but Liston, Sonny Liston and and Muhammad Ali or Cassius Clay in 65. We haven't had, I mean, for years there, there were boxers that you named with just one name. You know what I mean? Ali. Frazier. Even, you know, Larry Holmes was, he was as dumb as a box of rocks, but you knew when you said the name Holmes, it was Larry Holmes, George Foreman. You know, you remember the famous fight in 73 in Manila, the Philippines between Ali and Foreman. The thriller in Manila. The thriller in Manila. And you just haven't had that for a while. I think these guys that Chris just mentioned have the potential to bring that back. And I think we all will benefit from it. Yeah, they don't have as much the sort of showman gimmick style of personality like an Ali or a Mayweather. But if you watch these guys talk, like Tyson Fury 
talks exactly like you would expect a guy named Tyson Fury to talk. Really? As a six foot nine British guy, like he like he'll yeah. he is very believable when he says he'll kill you. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> well, and, you see the size and, of that and, DeAndre and, guy, and, and, you can see that. Yeah, and Deontay Wilder, six foot five, who's somehow four inches shorter, but it's still a gigantic guy and walked into this and you I mean it is hard to get not jazzed up when yeah. you see him talk it's different he, these guys are not going to do the fancy stuff like Muhammad Ali where you know it's some just making like snarky digs at the other guy but they're just going to say hey I'm going to kill you and the other guy's going to say I'm going to kill you I'm going to murder you in the ring too and then that is going to make if people get to see that yeah. that's going to sell just as many pay-per-views as someone making jokes about the other guy I'll tell you that because when you see this guy, Deontay Wilder, and he looks like a serial killer in the lead up to this weekend's fight, when he says, this is the only sport where you can get paid to murder someone. I'm going to murder this guy in the ring. I hate this guy, mm-hmm. right? Uh, that can get you pretty jazzed up oh, for yeah. the fight, right? Mm-hmm. So I actually, if these guys get a platform, I want to see these guys get a little more mainstream exposure. I want to see these guys on the late night shows. Yeah. I want to see these guys really getting proper exposure. So if it's whoever it is, Bob Arum or whoever's doing the promotion of this or whoever, I don't have no idea which, and I'm sure that all the, they'd all want to be a part of this, but whoever is promoting this fight when it happens, get these guys everywhere. These guys have to be on Jimmy Kimmel, right. Jimmy Fallon, right. on Conan. They have to be everywhere. They have to, and they should not only be fun and accessible and people get to know them and remember them, but they should be just a little bit scary. Like, I mean, just like, I mean, on a late night show, it's usually fun and ha ha. Light. But yeah, and it's light, but you want them to still have an intensity and be serious and say, you know what? I'm going to destroy this guy. Like they can joke around a bit and hey, nice to see a Conan and whatever. But to, uh, this weekend, you know, it's all fun. I'm going to I'm going to destroy them. I was at the Tonight Show and Johnny Carson was still hosting the show eons ago in Burbank, California. And that studio, that studio held 463 people. Why I remember that from 30 years ago, I don't know. But that's how much I love Johnny Carson. What I'm getting at is when Chris makes the statement that he, these guys should be doing late night talk shows and stuff, they should go in there and when they're done with their five minutes talking with the host, those 463 people should be a little bit scared of this guy. Yes, and that's what I mean, just a little and, bit. Uh, respectful, yep. but scared about what potentially this guy could do. Just a little bit, and that's why I say it like that. It's like you don't want it to just be like ridiculously over the top like he's just unappealing like you never want to see him again right. like right. your girlfriend just like just is just disgusted or something that's why i said it like that like you want to be a little scary like you want him when he's in his element he's in boxing or you see him in like a press conference he can be just terrifying mm-hmm. but on the late night shows you want him to just be a little scary you get that he's legit you get that he's serious you get that he's intense right and you have the people leaving there with lots of respect and a little, and just a, just feel like it's just a little scared of them. Yeah. Like, right, you just want to find that balance. And I think if you put these guys out there, I, I think they can do that. And I think that that would be a really good thing for boxing. And just because boxing has always been so antagonistic and dysfunctional, there's all these different groups that all think they're the shit. There's the WBC and the WBA and all these different competing organizations. IBF. And they never work together. And there's tons of corruption. And boxing as an industry is a joke. Absolutely. And Thank you, Don King. Yeah. And so we've never had like a unifying sort of organization like the UFC or WWE where you get like a weekly TV 
show and you have everyone on the same side and you can make decisions without all bunch of parties all having to war like you're dealing with five different unions at a time or something like you you need to have that ideally if you wanted boxing to succeed as it feels right now it feels like we just need these guys as lifelines just to make it so boxing doesn't completely go away and get swallowed up in favor of the more complex mixed martial arts industry and until they get some sort of real cohesive structure and maybe an overall organization like a UFC with someone like a Dana White really shepherding this thing. I, we're just going to continue to see maybe the odd big name emerges and you get the main, the odd big pay-per-view. But uh, hopefully this revitalizes a bit because boxing really is a, a very special thing. And uh, it is there's so much strategy and, and intrigue and so much potential for just really legendary sporting moments. But uh, we just haven't had a lot of that in recent years. But yeah, like you say, like you grew up in the golden era of heavyweight, well, exciting boxing. I got to bring out the name Gus D'Amato. And if you don't remember, our fans from Unscripted don't remember Gus D'Amato. Gus D'Amato was the guy single-handedly that saved the world from Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson came from the Catskills Mountains in New York, uh, an orphan, um, a really a badass, obviously. Not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I had a couple of run-ins with Mike Tyson, and he was as sweet as a gentleman as you could ever imagine, a guy that just literally pounded the shit out of people in the squared circle. But Gus D'Amato was a guy, the beginning, in my opinion, the beginning of the end of boxing was when Gus D'Amato died. Because that was at the, at the height of Tyson's uh, famous run as the power punch and he was boxing there for the in the late 80s into the 90s as soon as he lost to buster douglas in tokyo in 1990 mike tyson was never the same and that was right around the time when gus d'amato who saved him from going to the wrong way in the state of new york got him into boxing but gus d'amato was the one guy that mike tyson listened to when he was told he, he would do what because gus d'amato actually had Mike Tyson, and the game of boxing best interest at heart. When Gus D'Amato died, that just left Kevin Rooney as his trainer, and that's when Don King swooped up, swooped in, and really, I think, A, screwed up Mike Tyson, but then ultimately screwed up the game of boxing. And hopefully, this guy's got better representation, and hopefully, I don't know if Don King is alive or dead. It doesn't really matter. His damage was done with Mike Tyson in the game of boxing in the early 90s. And hopefully with these guys coming up, we are going to get some kind of second coming of great heavyweight champions. And I'm excited to see it. Um, yeah, Tyson does credit Customato, uh, who died in uh, November of 85. 85, there yeah, you go. Yeah, uh, with building his confidence and guiding him as a father figure. I can't find, is he, you know, there's a famous judge, Sal D'Amato. Is, is that a, re a relative? I don't know. I don't know. I can't find, but anyway, so, uh, yeah, I mean, Mike Tyson clearly needed that guidance, and the worst thing that could have happened to him was Don King, of course. Well, everybody, the passing, everybody again, the, the passing of Gus D'Amato, in my opinion, was the end of Mike Tyson as a dominant fighter in the world of boxing. If you are just joining us, welcome to this uh, 349th episode of Unscripted with Mike and Chris. A lot of things to talk about. We want to talk a little bit. And we need to thank, again, uh, a couple episodes ago, we were joined uh, via the telephone from Las Vegas from our one of our favorite hockey players of all time, certainly one of mine. I've gotten to know him quite well. Just talked to him again this week. Bernie Nichols joined the program. 
And uh, we've got some comments about his appearance on the program. We can certainly talk about that. And as Chris brings those up, I do want to make one quick mention. Um, isn't sometimes ironic, and I don't know if that's the right word, but at this time, or at the end of last season in the National Football League, Reuben Foster had run into some problems as a middle linebacker. He was a first-round draft choice of the San Francisco 49ers, ran into some domestic issues, obviously had some anger management issues. Reuben Foster was ultimately released from his contract from the San Francisco 49ers. But Reuben Foster obviously is a great football player, but that doesn't alleviate you from your responsibility in everyday life. And obviously, Reuben Foster had some had some problems. He had some anger issues, especially with women. I'm not going to get into that. But where I'm coming in with the irony thing, Reuben Foster found a new team in the offseason, and it was the Washington Redskins. And the Washington Redskins had their first OTA, which is Organized Team Activity Practice on Monday in Virginia at their training facility. And in the first five minutes of practice, this is where karma's a bitch, folks, I think sometimes. Reuben Foster was carted off the field with an apparent uh, knee injury, and it was bad enough that he needed an air cast to get off of the playing field during practice. So, um, you know, there were probably some people that weren't real happy, me included, that Reuben Foster got another chance in the NFL. Um, but obviously, you look at what he can bring to your football team, and hopefully through rehabilitation and counseling and whatever else, he can correct some of the demons that seem to have him by the short and curlies in real life. But ultimately now is his season in jeopardy five minutes in with his first practice with his new team of the Washington Redskins. Karma's a bitch, Ruben. And for the people that were not excited that he got a second chance with the Washington Redskins, well, here you go. There, there's as of right this second, there's no up to date information on what happened since that story broke five hours ago. But, uh, you know, what the real disappointing thing was last year when Reuben Foster did return to the field, he didn't look very good. And True. I mean, he was, I'm sure, distracted with all the other stuff going on, but he really didn't look as good as he did the year before. And uh, so I wonder if he's uh, going to develop into something great now. Uh, it sounds like the leg injury is severe. I'm expecting, as of right now, I would expect that he'll be out for the year with whatever it is. He was sobbing when it was happening. It, uh, by all accounts, looked very, very bad. So I, I'm not expecting too much or for him to be back this year. But after that, again, I mean, at some point, if a guy has been getting injured and has personal problems, and when we last saw him, didn't even look that good anyway... You know, even if he maybe, for all we know, maybe he would have looked okay this year yeah. and played well. But uh, just you get too many knocks against you, and uh, sometimes it's just bad luck, and it and it can happen. And uh, there's just so many variables out there, and there's always somebody waiting to take your spot. And uh, this this could be the end of Ruben Foster. We don't have an official diagnosis yet, but not looking good for this season and perhaps beyond. As I just mentioned earlier, um, obviously. A couple episodes ago, we were joined again by 
former three-time National Hockey League All-Star Bernie Nichols. He joined us from Las Vegas to talk about his newest ben- newest business venture, which is called All Sports Market. It is not gambling. Bernie gets pissed off when you talk about gambling. It's investing in your favorite sports teams or organizations. And you can always go to his website, which is www.allsportsmarket.com. But we had Bernie on, and one of our true listeners and a real friend of the show, our buddy Ryan, uh, had some comments about uh, Bernie's appearance, and we'd like to share those comments right now. And Chris is bringing those up, and I'll hand the microphone over and let take uh, let Chris take control and uh, report what Ryan had to say about the most recent addition on or the recent appearance of Bernie Nichols on Unscripted with Mike and Chris. Yeah, it was great to have Bernie on again. I mean, Bernie is just... I've always liked Bernie Nichols, though. I mean, I was an Oiler fan. Yep. And then, of course, saw him have that 150-point season when Gretzky went down there for the first time in 88-89. And uh, I just... I I remember as a kid... Like, and I was collecting hockey cards, and we'd be playing the NHL games for the Sega Genesis, me and my friends. And I always just said, I just really like Bernie Nichols. I just always did. And then just to talk to him is great. You know, they say never meet your heroes and never meet your celebrities you like, and they all disappoint you. But Bernie Nichols is the furthest thing from a disappointment as a human being and just a wonderfully humble guy, an underrated guy, and an underrated athlete, I think, as well. And, uh, you know, by the fact that he is the only 150-point single-season guy who's not in the Hall of Fame, as you've mentioned before, Mike. Yep. And, uh, I mean, what can I, I, I just can't possibly think of anything bad to say about Bernie Nichols. I love the guy. And uh, it's, it's so wonderful when he's so gracious with his time to uh, give us 20 or 30 minutes. Actually, he's always giving us 30-plus every time yep. we've talked to him. And uh, so it's great. And I do like the all-sports market concept. Always have. I wrote an article about it last year yes, after, his, after his first thing. It was called Evolution. And you can see that on our Patreon page. Uh, but anyway, uh, Ryan Hall, our buddy, did say, I really like Bernie's website and concept. I want to check it out and possibly invest in a team or two. If nothing else, guys, honestly, go and... If, you, if you're a sports fan at all, and if you're listening to this show, then I don't know why you wouldn't be, uh, unless you just love... Uh, Mike's delightful, you know, beautiful voice and face, which you don't get to see the face, so you just have to go off the voice. Right. Yes, but uh, it's a really cool concept. And even if you just do the funny money version, I mean, you can you can kind of get your feet wet and see what it's about. Like you get a starting balance of play money where you can go on there and take a look at it and just go have some fun and just kind of see how you do. Well, I was trying to think about this and trying to think like, why hasn't it quite blown up yet? Like, why is all sports market not taking over the world yet? And so... I was thinking, like, the one thing that comes to mind is I think a lot of people want that rush of right away. They want that that instant gratification where they get paid off right away. Well, the thing is, uh, all sports market has dealt with that because they pay you a dividend when your team wins, right? And so not only are you investing and yeah, your stocks are fluctuating and they can go up and down and whatever. And obviously, the goal is to buy low, just like it is on the stock market. But you're getting dividends. So if you're concerned that, oh, well, I'd rather just bet on something and just win right now. Well, you do win right now because you get a dividend. So I think that that really should deal with that. So I think a lot of it is just getting out there. I think maybe when people see any version of a stock market, it does intimidate them, right? We don't learn any sort of financial literacy in schools. We don't learn anything about the stock market in schools. We don't learn anything about investing in certainly not in public school anyway, where I went and I'm assuming Mike went public school, right? Yeah. And so 
I think that uh, I think maybe that's intimidating. Well, don't be intimidated, guys. I mean, honestly, it's a really, really cool thing, and uh, and I promise, Mike and I are not getting anything to say any of this. No, right? This is this is not a paid endorsement, but I've just I think it's a really brilliant, innovative, intelligent concept. I appreciate how it can promote literacy while giving people sort of uh, a way to get in the game because you know a lot of people, even when they do gamble, when they do actual gambling, I mean. A lot of the time, it's some people aren't all about the thrill of gambling or anything like that. They just want to have something on the line. And that's this is a way to get to literally invest in your team without having to literally gamble, right? You invest in your team and you just have a good time and it makes you more interested in the game. And I mean, we'd all love to just have a billion dollars and buy our favorite team. I'd love to buy the Edmonton Oilers and Mike would love to own the Green Bay Packers. And that would be great. But the closest we're going to get to that realistically is by doing something like this, like investing in all sports market. And so I would really, really encourage all of our listeners. And you know, Mike and I never do this. Like we never, no. you know, hawk stuff or whatever. No, and I'm not saying we wouldn't. I'm not saying that, you know, if the Spearman Rhino or whatever comes calling, I'm not saying we're above shilling something. Oh, no. We are not above that at all. But that's not what's happening here. I just, I, I want to thank Bernie so much for, for his time. Uh, always like the guy, love his taste in cities. You know, he, I mean, just what, what's the, I, I can't find anything to not like about this guy. And, uh, it's, it's just really, really cool. So the only uh, thing, check it out. The only thing I'm getting out of this is, is a couple strokes aside when I'm in Vegas the next time and I play golf with Bernie. That's all I'm getting. Oh yeah. Mike gets to get his ass kicked on the golf course. Right. That's what Mike gets out of this. Absolutely. That's what I get. So, um, please check it out again, www.allsportsmarket.com and, uh, just try to figure out what Chris and I have figured out, which is we think this is a brilliant opportunity. And again, it's a long-term investment on a team, but you do get paid a dividend. So, And you can get out at any time. If your team sucks the big one, you can get out and invest your money somewhere else. So you're not stuck on the Green Bay Packers or the Edmonton Oilers, as an example, for Chris and I. And you're always better with the betting, a better odds, and it's not gambling. Bernie will slap you upside the head if he hears the word gambling. You're investing in your team, but your investing opportunities are improved if you take a lesser successful team. You're not going to get as good of as good of. Listen to me. You're not going to get as you know. You're not going to get as as much dividend back if you're betting on the Golden State Warriors. You're going to make more money by betting on the Detroit Pistons for them to be successful, as an example. So um, it is our suggestion. We aren't telling you have to. But again, for something to get you more involved and, and you know, have that em- emotional support for your favorite team, here's a way to do it. You can play with your own money. You can play with Bernie's funny money if you want. There's, it's just a great way, and young people out there, this is a great way for you to learn how to budget money and, and you know, be responsible. And, of course, you have to be at least 21 to play with your, you know, with your real money, just as you would be in a Vegas casino. But there's a lot of advantages to this. And, again, we just ask that you take a look and take a visit and go through his website and see if you can find the things that seemingly are enticing to both Chris and I. Yeah, and uh, I think maybe one thing that, some people just need to see it because a lot of people, as we know, in society 
are not that great with long-term financial decisions. Got that right. So number if you if that's a concern for you, number one, you get the dividend, and number two, you can take the strategy that Bernie actually espouses when he's done that both times he's been on the show, where he talks about kind of micro investing, where you right. you just look at a homestand. Oh, someone's got a homestand against an overrated opponent, and so you just buy shares in this team for a bit. Your stuff, your you know, their your. Uh, your stocks go up while they do great on this one homestand, for example, and then you get out and you sell it, right? And you just, I mean, there's a there's a new movie coming out called The Hummingbird Project, which is about where these guys use, I think it's from the 80s, I think it's about the 80s, and these guys use computers even back then to just get in, get out, and make real microtransactions. So you literally, the computer is helping you invest in a stock for like uh, seconds. Like you invest in it, it goes a bit and you're out. And you're out. And you're making like a few cents here and there at constant, like in a yeah. million places. You're and accumulating. Yeah, you're like a hummingbird. Just get some and get out. And uh, and I just think that that's a really good, the hummingbird strategy might be a really good way to handle all sports market. Additional comments from our buddy Ryan Hall about that same episode with Bernie, which was uh, episode 345 or so. 44. Three, no, 344, I think is 344 what it was. 344 sounds I think, right I think it was, me. yeah, with Bernie. Anyway, so uh, Ryan Hall says, uh, great sound quality. Thank you. I was very proud of that. Actually, yeah, Bernie came through nice and loud and clear. Uh, Ryan says, I agree with you guys about putting NHL teams where they will actually be supported, of course. And I was going to uh, comment on that episode about the call against Las Vegas. I agree it was a horrible call, but maybe Vegas should have pulled up their socks and not allowed all of those goals on the PK, or picked it up and finished an OT, or finished the series off one of the other times they had the chance since they were up 3-1. to one. No question. Uh, Ryan is a very knowledgeable hockey guy, a uh, very knowledgeable person in general, and he's absolutely right. I just think that that call at that time was a obviously a total momentum changer. And I did say, and uh, I said this both on air and off air to Bernie, was that that was one of the few times in his two years as the goaltender of the Vegas Golden Knights, to me, that Fleury looked like he got flustered a little. I really believe that. And to give up the three goals in the five-minute major was a surprise, but Ryan is exactly right. They had time to correct it, but I think by that time, they were out of it. They were done. I really believe that that the Vegas team was done. Yeah. And that's why San Jose still has a game to play on Tuesday night and Vegas is just working on their golf swings. Yeah, I, I really think we would have seen Vegas in the Stanley Cup final again. Uh, look at the way that Mark Stone, sorry, but look at the way that Mark Stone is playing in the international tournament. He's tearing yeah. it up. Oh yeah, He's doing very well. And what an acquisition by George McPhee and uh, Kelly McCrimmon and everybody else in Las Vegas. What an acquisition that guy's going to be. And if you can get them together for a full season, we might make up the three games that we didn't get in last season's Stanley Cup playoffs. Vegas is going to win a Stanley Cup soon, I believe. Yeah, what an unbelievable franchise. We'll never see an expansion story like this again in any sport, as far as I'm concerned. But uh, continuing on the same topic, we also had a comment here from our Vancouver Bureau Chief, Sean yes. Dode, who uh, he just sent me, I don't know where, he sent me a couple articles, and he said, it's nice to see that some people are actually willing to talk about one of the most fundamentally flawed elements of hockey. And the main one he sent me was a link to an excellent story by a gentleman uh, named Travis Yost, who used to just kind of be a freelance blogger on the internet, and then TSN actually hired him because his articles were so good. 
And so what he's talking what he's talking about here, just to basically sum up the article, but I do recommend you read it. It's an excellent, excellent article. And Travis Yost is wonderful, backs up his opinions with date, really specific data. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's not just random blabbing like, I don't know, Skip Bayless or yeah, something like yeah. some of those guys. But anyway, what he talks about is... And really, this has been known for a long time in hockey that the refs do this. And I don't know how bad it is in other sports, but I know growing up in Canada how it's just a fact of life with hockey. And that is this. And this is what Sean's talking about. Referees in hockey do not try to just call the game. They try to manage the game. That's the problem. And if you look at the statistics, and Travis Yost has a bunch of them here, it shows that basically most teams are basically split 50-50 when it comes to penalties. And that's just not possible. That's just not realistically possible. They're trying to even it up. You know, the refs blow a call, then they call a chintzy one on the other team that was the, you know, beneficiary of the first call. And then, oh, it just happens that this one team is legit taking more of, like, the first four penalties of the game, so now we better give the other one side. Communist officiating is bullshit, and this needs to stop. This is unacceptable on any level. But And the thing is, everyone's talking about, like, oh, do we need more video review? Do we need less video review? Should it be guys on the ice? Should it be guys in the command center? All these things are tiny, tiny changes that could maybe make a difference. But none of this is going to get better until we just deal with the actual problem, which is this. And nobody other than Mr. Yost here is really talking about it, although maybe we're going to start to see it now. Uh, There was someone, I think it was J.D. Burke in The Athletic. Sean sent me another article. But anyway, this is a major problem. How can you possibly not have problems? And it, I mean, this has always been the case. I think hockey refs have always done this to a degree. But now we're starting to see issues like this come more to light. Because if this was happening in the 70s or 80s, there was no social media, you know, the fans bitch, but you don't really see it everywhere. They're just grumbling in their own house and saying they got ripped off. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, every time you lose, you're going to complain as a sports fan. But Now it's starting to really come to light and there's clear trends and it's a problem and we need to fix this because we need to make it so some games, one team gets six ladder plays and the other one gets none, right? Because, I mean, even the NFL, like you can say what you want about the NFL officiating. There's all sorts of problems there. But I have to say, I regularly see games where one team has 200 yards in penalties and the other one has five. You see it all the time. They do not manage the game in the NFL. They just call us a penalty. They do their best to call a penalty if it's a penalty, and they don't if it's not. That's what they're trying to do, and they're humans, so they'll fuck up sometimes. But this game management shit is bullshit, and it may be unique to hockey, and it needs to go away, and someone needs to fucking address it right now. No question, but I do. I need to get on my soapbox a little bit right here and while we're on the topic of rules changes and officiating changes in major professional sports. <clears throat> Baseball. I know it's not one of our favorite things to talk about. We don't usually watch it until the last two weeks of September because that's when, if there are teams still in a, in a chase for a playoff position, that's when the games are meaningful. The first six months or five and a half months of the season are absolutely worthless. It's like watching paint dry. I get that. But folks, the one thing that we learned during the spring training this year in both Arizona and Florida was that the 22nd pitch clock works. Mm -hmm. They didn't institute it this year in the regular season games. And I hope Manfred and his people at major league baseball headquarters in New York, revisit that in the off season. The games are still too damn long. There's still too much scratching and spitting and whatever between pitches. The games are endlessly forever long. And I think realistically a way to get around this is a 22nd pitch clock in the other sports that are having problems. And I got to include baseball in this when they go to review 
You've got a time limit. I've talked about this in the National Football League. If you're during a commercial, that's one thing. But once the game is back from commercial, you have to have rendered a decision and you live with the decision. We are making so many people, so many monkeys look stupid in these video play uh, play reviews because they're taking six, seven, and eight minutes because they can't get to some kind of resolution. Screw that. You've got, the, you've got the game and you've got the video right in front of your face. Make a call, and when the call is made by the guy in Toronto or New York City or Paramus, New Jersey, where they have the guy in the NBA, when that guy or girl, whoever it is, that person makes the ruling, live with it and move on. This sitting around second, third, and fourth guessing is ridiculous, and these games are still taking way too long. If you're taking this much time, then get rid of the video and go back to just living with the zebra's call on the ice, on the floor, or on the field, and live with it. This is getting ridiculous as to when they go to the video headquarters or video whatever, and they want a, a, a ruling. Look at the video, the same video that Chris and I are looking at from our living rooms. Make a call and live with it and move on. If you can't, then scrap the whole fucking system and go back to living with what the zebra says again on the ice, on the court, or on the field. And there's no bitching about it. It's just gotten ridiculous. You've got an educated person making this call. You give him or her a time, you know, you've got two minutes, three minutes to make your decision and live with it. This going on on a video review challenge that's going on for seven, eight, nine minutes has gotten ridiculous, and nobody wins. I'm telling you, folks, nobody wins. We've got to run on this 349th episode of Unscripted with Mike and Chris. Having said all that, for the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.